Amen. Well, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the letter of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this morning we'll be in verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. As you're turning there, Dr. Allen, Dr. Dusing, it's a privilege to be here. There are just shy of 50,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States. Data collected from our North American Mission Board tells us that somewhere between 70 and 75% of those churches are either plateaued or declining. This is concerning because more often than not, these churches have gotten themselves in that spot because they've stopped following a biblical plan for their church. Y'all, that is 37,000 churches that need shepherds that will love them and lead them back to a place of biblical fidelity. Is that an easy task? No, it's not. But if we love Jesus Christ and we love his bride, the church, and in a very special way, we love the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention, then we need a lot more brave men who will answer the call to follow Jesus and follow Jesus as he reclaims churches that have lost their way. So while I believe this message is going to be beneficial to everyone here, I want to speak specifically to those men here who are training to pastor. Paul wrote these words to Timothy when he was still super green behind the ears. And essentially what Paul is giving his protege here is a a proper philosophy of ministry. He's challenging him to be unflinching and resolved to follow Christ's calling for him and for his church that he pastored no matter what the cost. So let's go ahead and begin with verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Nothing intensifies a command more than a reminder of who we will have to answer to. Whom do we serve? Christ. What will we have to answer for? How we led his bride when he comes back to judge the living and the dead. Y'all, a pastor is called to deal in more than life and death. The eternal judgment of Christ and what becomes of that congregation, not just in its earthly state, not just with how it's doing in the here and now, but much more so in its eternal state. The Lord Jesus will judge us according to how we led his bride. And we need to remember that every church is important to Jesus. He died for her. And y'all, though the church right now, though she may look gritty, when her man comes back, she's going to look so pretty. Our job as pastors is to help the bride get ready to meet Jesus face to face. God wants us to give his bride the very best, the very best. And the very best thing for the church is the word of God. Thus the exhortation, preach the word, preach the word. In your philosophy of ministry, make the word of God the centerpiece. Be committed to giving your people what's best. And that's a a steady diet of biblical exposition. People don't need neatly packaged sermon series focused around felt needs like money or sex or community. If you want to give your people what they really need, if you want to give your people what's best, give them Ephesians. 
Judges, Luke. They don't need sentimental preaching that's centered around American holidays. To give them God's best would be to preach through Romans, Exodus, 2 Peter, Haggai. Commit yourself to verse-by-verse preaching through books of the Bible in their entirety and don't skip a word. You know, if you're committed to preaching expositionally, one of the big advantages, advantages of that is that you can plan out your sermons for the entire year. You can know exactly what you're gonna be preaching on. But you need to know that if you step into one of those 37,000 struggling Southern Baptist churches, they'll probably be unfamiliar with expositional preaching. And you're likely to experience pushback. People will ask you how it's even possible for you to be led by the Holy Spirit if you pre-plan your sermons. They may not desire for you to work through books of the Bible. Instead, they want you to get up there and preach whatever the Lord has laid on your heart that morning. Bring them a word from the Lord about current events of the day. Y'all, what a great opportunity to teach your people about the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. No No extra inspiration is needed when the preacher steps behind the pulpit. No no extra inspiration is needed for the man of God to bring the word of the Lord. Teach the doctrines of inspiration and inerrancy and sufficiency. You'll need to do that. God may give you the privilege of pastoring in a church where you're able to introduce the conservative resurgence to them for the very first time. So teach your people why the best method of preaching is text-driven exposition. In doing so, you'll not only give them what's most helpful to them on Sunday mornings, but you also teach them how to study their Bible on their own, how to look at a scripture in context, how to interpret the scripture, how to apply the scripture. That's Bible study, and your people need to know that. You know, in an an environment that you're likely to step into as a young pastor, where consuming devotional booklets like Open Windows or our daily bread is much more common than Bible reading, we need to be committed to equipping our people to study the scriptures. And y'all, that starts in corporate worship on Sunday mornings behind the pulpit. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. Be ready to teach the truth of the Bible, whether the conditions are favorable or whether they're unfavorable. Whether what God says is popular or it's unpopular whether it's welcome or it's unwelcome. That's what God's gonna judge our ministries upon. Were we faithful or did we compromise? And sticking to preach the text, sticking to preaching the text takes faith, brothers and sisters. It takes faith. There may be weeks when the passage, the next, the next sequential passage in the, in the scripture at first glance seems so disconnected from church life. Other scriptures seem harsh when you preach through books of the Bible. Other scriptures seem harsh when held up against the backdrop of K-love Christianity. Always positive, always encouraging. But y'all, is that the Bible? No. So when you preach the word and it seems to be out of season at times and you start to question yourself as a new pastor and you think, boy, have I... Have I started to become one of those closed-minded hellfire and brimstone preachers? Well, the answer is probably no. You've just become a preacher 
of the whole Bible and not just those scriptures that are in vogue with pop Christianity. God will reward your faithful handling of the scripture and your trust that what God has to say to the congregation is exactly what they need to hear that week. You know, it's not easy to be a leader. Being a shepherd who leads means means encouraging people who are obediently, passionately, faithfully following Jesus and making disciples. And being a shepherd also means leading people and bringing God's word to bear on people who are sinning. It looks like reproving someone who is in doctrinal error. You know, in an age of relativism where the culture wants us to cave on the authority of God's word and the culture wants to say that all opinions and all interpretations are equally valid so long as they're held with a genuine heart. In that sort of culture, it's not easy to stand on God's word and reprove someone. But God commands pastors to rebuke sin. Now, what makes that especially tough is that more often than not, the person who is sinning doesn't think that they're sinning. Not everyone welcomes a rebuke. Some people say along with King David, they they say, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me for it is oil on my head. And that's easy. That's easy. That's when it's in season. It's wonderful when people have humble hearts. But what about the other times? Like it mentions so often in Proverbs that a fool hates correction. A fool scoffs at a rebuke. Not everyone who you'd expect to act in a godly manner in your church will do so. So be ready for that, young pastor. Be ready for that. Don't shy away from conflict. Don't shy away from conflict. Conflict will happen in your church. Conflict is inevitable in life. Don't make the mistake of thinking that conflict is bad. Conflict is neutral. Conflict is neither good nor bad. What makes the situation either good or bad either peaceful or destructive, is how we respond to conflict. View conflict as an opportunity to demonstrate the power of the gospel and the power of God's word to change hearts and minds. Encourage God's people. Exhort them. Do all of these things with complete patience. Y'all, we know that people usually don't change completely overnight. It takes time. So as shepherds, we need to be consistent. We need to be constant, even in the face of opposition. And y'all, for goodness sakes, don't resign from your church whenever you're met with opposition. Don't give up. Far too many pastors, they throw in the towel as soon as they find that they have enemies in the church. Having opponents in the church is not God's way of telling you that it's time to move on. That could be God's way of telling you it's time to lock in. For the long haul. You know, when the long-standing deacon who is convinced that they run the church comes up to you and starts poking you in the chest and accusing you of ruining the church, do not budge. Do not budge. Instead, lovingly, patiently embrace the conflict as an opportunity to bring God's word to bear and to show him a better way. Y'all, when you're taking back ground, 
that the devil has occupied for decades and decades and decades, he doesn't go down without a fight. You need to know that as a young pastor. We've got to be steady. We can't be willy-nilly as shepherds. People need to know what they can expect from us. We establish precedents and we stick to it. We don't drive the sheep in a harsh way, but we steadily maintain order and structure and consistency as we lovingly lead the church Godward. That's what we're to do. Now, it's important that I say this because as you read of pastors of old, you may find yourself a little discouraged with your experience from time to time. Our culture has changed in the past 70 years. It used to be that pastors were well-respected and revered in their communities. It used to be that the Bible was honored even in the public realm. Not so today. So don't don't go into, into the pastorate expecting that. When you follow the Lord's leading to pastor one of these 37,000 struggling SBC churches and people start to leave your church whenever you make the necessary changes to stop the bleeding, and you might find yourself feeling like the least respected person in that entire congregation, don't be discouraged. Your mission is to get that church ready. Your mission is to get that church ready. They may not like it immediately, but given some time and some love and some consistency, they'll start to see where you're leading them. Keep on moving forward and lead them to maturity. You see, it's so, it's so tempting, y'all. It's so tempting for a preacher to soften his message, to make it more palatable so that people will like him. It's no fun to not be liked. That's what Paul warns Timothy about in verses three and four. Look there with me. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You're gonna have to be steady because people will always be fickle. God's people need leaders who will set the pace and not budge, who will not compromise from biblical truths. Pastors do not lead based on what's popular with the people. We don't make decisions like politicians do. So often they make decisions based on whatever works works out for their own best interest and so that they can keep their job. We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do what we do so that people will like us. We do what we do because we love the Lord Jesus. We love his people, the church. In this text, Paul is warning Timothy that he better lock in because a time is coming when people won't wanna listen to the truth. They'll wander off into myths. Myths about God, myths about themselves. The myth that everyone in our church is really a good person. They have a good heart. Essentially, that the church is more more or less a good people club. The myth that no matter how my adult children live, because they prayed a prayer at one point in their life to accept Christ, that they're saved no matter how they live now, even though the Lord has no place in their life. The myth that sentimentality about the flowers and the memorial plaques and the pews can actually satisfy my soul. They'll wander off into myths. Timothy, you better stay focused 
Because people will want to focus on all manner of things that are purposeless and completely inconsequential. You'll need to shepherd and lead them, not the other way around. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Y'all, even when there's pressure in ministry, even when there's opposition, you and I have to be sober-minded, brother. We have to have cool heads and hearts that are controlled by the Spirit when everyone else thinks that the sky is falling. When everyone else is operating based on instinct and emotion and feelings, we have to be controlled by the Spirit. We have to be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Y'all, suffering in ministry is inevitable. It's going to happen. You will have scars, but brother, be a man who is willing to go against the current. Swim upstream with a knife in your teeth like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Stick with your work. Don't flinch because the lion roars. Don't stop to stone the devil's dogs. Don't fool away your time chasing the devil's rabbits. Do your work. Do your work. Let liars lie. Let sectarians quarrel. Don't worry about them. Let critics malign. Let the devil do his worst. But see to it that nothing hinders you from fulfilling with joy the work that God has given you. He has not commanded you as a pastor to be admired or esteemed. He's never bidden us to defend our character. He has not set us at work to contradict falsehood about ourselves wherever we find it. He has not instructed us to track down every rumor that threatens our reputation. If you do these things, you won't have time for anything else. I guarantee you that. And you'll be at work for yourself and not for the Lord. Keep at your work, young pastor. Be steady. You may be wronged, insulted, slandered, wounded, and mistreated. See to it with steadfast determination that you pursue the great purpose of your life and the object of your faith, the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Let's be men who are gospel-centered, gospel-motivated. Never lose sight of the love that God demonstrated for sinners through the gospel, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let the good news about Jesus be upon your lips with frequency. Let the aim of the Great Commission be your church's mission, to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ, to be committed and dedicated to helping people follow Jesus. You know, there's really no greater joy than to share the good news about what God has done for sinners and the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the main man. The gospel is the main message and the great commission that the Lord Jesus has given to us, that's the main mission, to be and make disciples. So get out there and start knocking on doors, pastor. Get a booth at local festivals. Get involved in community events and leverage those opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with lost people. Pastor, if you aren't leading your church to evangelize, then who else will? 
Get out there and jump in. Y'all, evangelism, though it may seem frightening at first, it only gets easier and easier and easier the more you do it. So jump in there. Nothing makes you feel more alive. Nothing makes your faith come to life more than evangelism. Nothing is more satisfying than seeing someone come to faith in Jesus Christ and gathered with the local church. So get out there and jump in. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy, leave it all on the court. Leave it all on the court. Don't give up. There is such a reward after pressing through. It may start out difficult, but there is a reward to be had for pressing through. And it's awesome. Charles Simeon once said this, my dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I am getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his glory. So y'all, as you get out there into your first church, I want to encourage you, preach the word. Pray for your people, love your people, rebuke your people, and stay with your people. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would continue to raise up pastors, shepherds, overseers, elders, to go out into the difficult churches of our nation, to reclaim territory that the devil has occupied. Lord, we need men who, are, who have broad shoulders and deep chests, who are willing to endure suffering, and we pray that you would raise those men up to get out and do ministry in places where it's not glamorous, where there is no recognition, and where they might be met with opposition. I pray that you would help these men to know that you are with them every step of the way and that you will build your church and that your kingdom will be established. It's in Christ's holy name we pray, amen.